بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين ولا عاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وصلوات الله وسلامه على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جاءت وسهلا وأنت تجل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا اللهم أعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Right, folks, so uh, starting off the new year, logical progression, year, whatever it is, um, the uh, a blessing of all of you is something that we're all very, uh, very grateful for. And as usual, when we start off a new year, we try to recite something from the Quran which is uh, relevant to the particular subject that we're studying. So Sheikh Abdul Ghaffar is here, and he is going to recite from Surah Mu'minun, inshaAllah. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم قل رب إما ترينني ما يوعدون رب فلا تجعلني في القوم الظالمين وإنا على أن نريك ما نعدهم لقادرون إدفع بالتي هي أحسن السيئة نحن أعلم بما يصفون وقل رب أعوذ بك من همزات الشياطين وأعوذ بك رب أن يحضرون حتى إذا جاء أحدهم الموت قال رب رجعون لعلي أعمل صالحا فيما تركت كلا إنها كلمة هو قائلها ومن ورائهم برزخ إلى يوم يبعثون فإذا نفخ في الصور فلا أنساب بينهم يومئذ ولا يتساءلون فَمَن ثَقُلَت مَوَازِينُهُ فَأُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ وَمَن خَفَّت مَوَازِينُهُ فَأُولَئِكَ الَّذِينَ خَسِرُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ فِي جَهَنَّمَ خَالِدُونَ تَلْفَحُ وُجُوهَهُمُ النَّارُ وَهُمْ فِيهَا كَالِحُونَ ألم تكن آياتي تتنى عليكم فكنتم بها تكذبون قالوا ربنا غلبت علينا شقوتنا وكنا قوما ضالين ربنا أخرجنا منها فإن عدنا فإنا ظالمون قال اخسأوا فيها ولا تكلمون إنه كان فريق من عبادي يقولون ربنا آمنا 
يقولون ربنا آمنا فاغفر لنا وارحمنا وأنت خير الراحمين فاتخذتموهم سخريا حتى أنسوكم ذكري وكنتم منهم تضحكون إني جزيتهم اليوم بما صبروا أنهم هم الفائزون قال كم لبثتم في الأرض عدد سنين قالوا لبثنا يوما أو بعض يوم فاسأل العادين قال إن لبثتم إلا قليلا لو أنكم أنكم كنتم تعلمون أفعسبتم أنما خلقناكم عبثا وأنكم إلينا لا ترجعون فتعالى الله الملك الحق لا إله إلا هو رب العرش الكريم ومن يدع مع الله إلها آخر لا برآن له به فإنما حسابه عند ربه إنه لا يفلح الكافرون وقل رب اغفر وارحم وأنت خير الراحمين جزاك الله خير قرأك الله شيخي قرأك الله from a shaitan, the accursed, the rejected. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Mu'minun, um, say, my Lord, if you are going to show me the punishment you have promised them, then my Lord, do not include me among the evildoers. Allah then says, we are certainly able to show you the punishment we have promised them. So repel evil with good, we are well aware of what they attribute to us and say, my Lord, I take refuge with you from the goadings of the evil ones. I seek refuge with you, my Lord, so that they may not come near me. But when death comes to one of them, he cries, my Lord, let me return so as to make amends for the things I neglected. Never. This will not go, on, this will not go beyond his words. A barrier stands behind such people until the very day they are resurrected. On that day when the, when the trumpet is blown, the ties between them will be as nothing and they will not ask about each other. Those whose good deeds weigh heavy will be successful. But those whose balance is light will have lost their souls forever and will stay, will stay in hell forever. The fire will scorch their faces and their lips will be twisted in pain. Were my messages not recited over and over to you and still you rejected them? They will say, Lord, our waywardness overcame us and we went astray. Lord, take us away from this and if we go back to our old ways, then we shall really be evildoers. He will say, away with you. In you go. Do not speak to me. Among my servants, there were those who said, Lord, we believe. Forgive us and have mercy on us. You are the most merciful of all. But you kept on laughing at them. So intent were you on laughing at them that it made you forget my warning. Today, I have rewarded them for their patience. It is they who will succeed. He will say, how many years were you on earth? And they would reply, we stayed a day or a part of a day. But ask those who keep count. He will say, you stayed but a little, 
if you had only known? Did you think we had created you in vain and that you would not be brought back to us? So exalted be Allah, the true king. There is no God but him, the Lord of the glorious throne. Whoever prays to another God alongside him, a God for whose existence he has no evidence, will face his reckoning with his Lord. Those who reject the truth will never prosper. So say, O Prophet, Lord, forgive and have mercy, for you are indeed the most merciful of all. Al-Mu'minun. Fabulous uh, surah. And a somber start, which is a shame, which means we can't do our normal jokes and stuff, but you know. Alhamdulillah. So anyway, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So um, let's first of all introduce ourselves to the new folks because there are people who are obviously joining us here in the masjid first time. There are those that have signed up to the portal first time. Um, and this is also going out on Facebook Live, I think. I don't know actually uh, if it's working or not and whether the internet is good enough or not uh, because we avoided using the masjid uh, internet to focus on the portal. So if they're here, then there's many people there who are not used to logical progression. So uh, bear with me as I give a quick summary. Logical progression is a class that we hold every week for about nine months of the year. Every week, live, on a Wednesday. And um, the lesson is covering pretty much everything. It's focused on Islamic uh, fiqh. It's concerning yani, our day-to-day uh, lives, our worship, our mu'amalat, our coming and going with everyone and everything. Um, and then, obviously, when we get a chance, then we'll, we'll introduce current affairs into that aqid. So it's a, it's a mishmash. It's absolutely everything, uh, which is ironic considering it's called logical progression. It's not much of a logic, or it's not much of a progression. It's eight years now, and we haven't got anywhere. I don't know where we've got to. Someone said we're still on Kitab Salah. Getting, getting to Kitab Salah was an achievement. So we're still on target, though. Fifty years is what we said for the book. Yeah. So, you know, we're on volume three. How many volumes are there? Fifteen? Yeah, fifteen. So, what's that? 3, 8, 3, 5, 40. So that's all right. We finished 10 years ahead of schedule. What are people complaining for? So, um, and it's all free. It's all supported by uh, some very generous people. Al-Maghrib do the back end uh, from the uh, logistics in terms of the website techie stuff. And then all the costs, the paying of servers and all the other kind of... uh, technological stuff then mashallah we have a lot of a lot of folks who uh, donate their sadaqah every single month to the extent that for the last couple of years we've not even needed to make an appeal it is well supported they are getting a good return for their money and also it allowed us to then open a second circle as well on a tuesday quranic progression which is run by sheikh Hassan hanif it's nice yani we have two of the, uh, uh, the back-to-back classes uh, that don't interrupt manchester united season yani this year uh, because we are removed yani, from Wednesday forever. We are now relegated to Thursdays for the rest of our lives. So Tuesdays and Wednesdays can be our lesson uh, days or evenings, I should say. Uh, unless we decide to swap to Man City, then we can, yani, you know, then we have to then think of a new, uh, new system. So anyway, the, to the, join the portal is free. The advantage, of course, is that the video, the, 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 the notes, uh, the podcasts, the recordings of every lesson are there. And I've just got to say... Right, honestly, my mind is blown by the incredible team that are working behind the scenes at Professor Guidance and Logical Progression, especially. I challenge you this is a challenge to every single person here and online go to logicalprogression.org and sign in, go to lessons, 
go to resources, sorry, go to resources and click on any of the last transcribed notes and tell me in any professional field, forget Islam, if you've seen a set of notes like that. If you've seen a set of notes like that, then, then I take my hat off them. Okay, because I don't know how it gets better. It's fully transcribed, word for word. It's got uh, timestamps, so those who can watch it on the video as well. It has everything transliterated. The Arabic is there, transliterated so that people who don't read Arabic can read it as well. All the meanings are there, all the references are there. Every hadith, every ayah. Pictures are there, demonstrations are there. It's mental, absolutely insane. So a massive shout out going to Widad, first of all, who started that off, to Mesa, who runs the whole show. And then you've got such an incredible team of people behind that. Um, I mean, there's so many names. Uh, Ibrahim, the referencing team, for example, the Funky Sisters, uh, Asma'u and Rabia. And uh, we have Marjan, and we have Sadia, and we have, uh, oh my God, I mean, uh, at least 30 or 40 people. MashaAllah, Tabarakallah. Uh, and they, you know they're, they're rewards of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know I'll tell you something interesting a lot of the times uh, when people either see me or they're writing a message or a comment or something on social media the dua that they often make is may Allah give you a long life to continue you know this kind of phrase it's like an adab phrase you know to continue teaching continue do whatever whatnot. I want to say to you that there are people behind the scenes that deserve that dua more I'll tell you why because if I stop, at least you lot will do my best, isn't it? Yeah, I can't, I'd have to disappear completely from life. Because if I was to stop, every time I come into public, people would say, what happened to you? What was you doing? You know what I'm saying? So I've got uh, a kind of like a, uh, you know, you know, actually about to say backstop. Yeah, I meant, I meant to say like a backup plan. But, but this is how ruined our heads are. I go away for two months and we come back. And now this country has just gone to dogs. You know, I was thinking earlier on today, I'm sorry to go on tangent, but obviously it wouldn't be a logical progression if we didn't go on a tangent, yeah? That Boris Johnson, I said to myself, this is not the illegitimate child of Donald Trump. He's the legitimate child of Donald Trump. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I thought about it. He's the only one who looks like him out of his family. The other, look, mashallah, they look, they look as aren't they, his normal family. Yeah? They must be all illegitimate. Yeah? In America, I mean, all the Trumps and the boys and the girls. This one is the asli, yani, legitimate looking, yani, ugly thing, isn't it? Yeah? Right? A'udhu billah. How he came to the top, I have no idea. And where we are going, I have no idea. And we used to cuss these yanks yani, day and night. And then they just turned around and said, hold our, uh, hold our zamzam. So they're keeping it halal, yani. we don't want to you know, put bad examples, but we've got kids here. But, uh, you know, uh, anyway. Anyway. So the point is, I have no idea what I was talking about. What's on about? Pour me a drink. <laughs> pour me a drink. <laughs> Don't pour me a drink. But dua is that uh, uh, I can be publicly held accountable very easily. The people who are in the shadows, no one knows their names, doing everything, they can easily just slide away. You hear what I'm trying to say? Very easy to. A lot of stress, then they just turn around and say, well, you know, I don't need this. Let me just go back to whatever. So I pray here and now, and I ask you to join me and say, Amin. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps all of these Muslims firm and keeps them strong and continue to work in Allah's way. Allahumma Amin. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless them with the best in this dunya and in the akhirah. Allahumma Amin. Okay, anyway, uh, that's enough. Uh, uh, welcome, obviously, to the new folks, to the Hajj groups, to the Umrah groups. A lot of so many people here, uh, uh, obviously, in the break. Uh, Hajj was the big thing that happened. Hajj this year was insane. I mean, completely insane. 
and I don't know how blessed we are that it just keeps getting better every single year. You always think, you know, 16 uh, uh, was... Because uh, 2016 was a special year because I swapped from just an exclusive Canadian group to an international one, which allowed the Brits to come, my own people, obviously. Um, and 16 was, was unbelievable, comparatively speaking. And then 17 was even better. And then 18 was even better. And then this year, it, it was even better. I, I don't know what's happening. I don't know how, what, what has to happen each time for it to get better. It's scary to think what happens next year. It, it, it really is. So this is from the Father of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sheikh Abdul Ghaffar was with us this year as well. And uh, who knows, yani, you know, how and what's going to happen next year. But if it's going up in that trajectory, uh, then it's incredible. Other, uh, or we can be super negative like the chief and say the crash is coming. Yeah. And then the, the whole Hajj crashes. Yeah. And so that the next year's Hajj is a disaster as opposed to a crash in the Hajj. But anyway, um, anyway, that's enough. Let's actually get on to the subject itself. So we are in the chapter of Salah. Those folks who are starting first time, you don't need to worry about where we are. Everything can be caught up within about three, four hours. Okay. And I'm talking seven years of content. In three, four hours. All right? There are ways. If you want to blag it, that's the way. You want to do it, you know, the hard, hard miles, then get the podcast and then just, you know, do all your local miles and your contracting miles and stick it in your phone and do your AirPod behavior and whatever, whatnot. Yeah? Or you've got some other videos that can be watched or you can read the notes and catch up quickly. But in my opinion, the previous years can be caught up so quickly just by the revision videos. The point is, is that you can join in right now and benefit. And everything that you can't make live, then you can catch up later as well, inshallah, because it's recorded immediately and it's using YouTube broadcasting and all the clever kind of stuff. Um, we are currently in the chapter of the prayer. We are currently in the sub-chapter of the description of the prayer. We are currently in the end of the physical description of the prayer in terms of its units. So we have just, in the last lesson, which was done in April, just before the Ramadan started, we had covered the tashahud. And we had covered the Durud Sharif, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, salawat Ibrahimiyah. And we were now moving into the section of what is to be said after that, the dua section. And the dua that we have started is Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min adhabi jahannam. And that's what we covered last time over a couple of sessions. Oh Allah, we seek refuge with you from the punishment of the hellfire. And we spoke about it in depth. And then we are moving on to the second part, which is Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min adhabi qabr. So... In our normal way, we'll read the Arabic text and then the English as well. So, in Arabic, our author, alayhi rahmatullahi imam al-hajjawi, and for those who are just wondering, what's this based upon? I mean, it's my commentary upon the commentary to the, a book called Zad al-Mustaqni, which was written by imam al-hajjawi. It's essentially a Hanbali fiqh text, but then the commentary upon it, al-sharh al-mumti' uh, by Sheikh al-Uthaymin, alayhi rahmatullah was a general commentary upon that text. And my commentary is a commentary upon the commentary so that we keep it kind of, you know, uh, easy and relaxed. So uh, the Arabic is, وَيَسْتَعِيذُ مِنْ عَذَابِ جَهَنَّمِ وَمِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبَرِ وَمِنْ فِتْنَةِ الْمَحْيَى وَالْمَمَاتِ Have you got the Arabic there? Shaz, it's easier to do it from that. Take it up, 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 up. There we go. So, وَيَسْتَعِيذُ مِنْ عَذَابِ جَهَنَّمِ وَعَذَابِ الْقَبْرِ وَفِتْنَةِ الْمَحْيَى وَالْمَمَاتِ وَفِتْنَةِ الْمَسِيحِ الدَّجَّالِ وَيَدْعُوا بِمَا وَرَدِ ثُمَّ يُسَلِّمُوا عَنْ يَمِينِهِ السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وعن يساره كذلك وإن كان في ثلاثية أو رباعية نهد مكبرا بعد تشهد الأول وصل ما بقي كالثانية بالحمد فقط ثم يجلس في تشهده الأخير متوركا والمرأة مثله لكن تضم نفسها وتسدل رجليها 
في جانب يمينها أباب شاز So in English that corresponds to أباب 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 It corresponds to then he seeks refuge from the punishment of the hell. So he's already said, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. Okay? This is where the packs normally say, Rabbi ja'ali mukim salati wa rabbana atina fi dunya. We're at that part. Okay? So the author, he says, then the person should seek refuge from the punishment of hell and the punishment of the grave and the punishment of life and the punishment of death and the punishment of the false Messiah. Supplicating with that which is narrated. Then he sends salams, taslim, to the right. And he says, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. May the peace and mercy of Allah be upon you. And then he does that to his left as well. If it is a three unit, three unit or four unit raka'ah prayer, he stands back up whilst uttering the takbir after the first tashahud, like we all know. And then prays the remainder of the prayer like he did in the second unit, but with the fatiha only, i.e. doesn't recite surah. Well, obviously we're going to explain all of this in detail later. He then sits in that final tashahud, mutawarriqan i.e. in a state of tawarruk. And we will cover that as well. Women, and this is going to be the first time when we come to it in a few weeks' time, where we're going to talk about the differences of the prayer. Women pray the same way, except that they collect in their bodies towards themselves, and they slide their feet underneath to the right when sitting. That might not sound easy here, but when we give the demonstration, it will become super clear. All right. So we did actually in the last lesson, you can review that after this lesson uh, here, uh, start Adab al-Qabr. And how did we, um, uh, what did we, uh, 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 what was the Sheikh Uthameen system? On page 176 of the Sharh and on the, on the portal, you can see, you can see the, uh, uh, the Arabic notes as well if you want a reference to it. Okay, you want to read the commentary, I mean, just at the tab, at the, uh, at the top. Um, the Sheikh said, you know what, let's look at Adab al-Qabr from a number of angles. So the first angle that he wants to put forward is, is it established or not? What is the evidence for it? And what he did is that he explained that it is from the Sunnah. Hadith are super clear about it. It's from the general meaning of the Qur'an, which as we covered in detail last, week, last time, indicates that there is no absolute direct verse that says, and the punishment of the grave will be X, Y, Z. There's nothing in the Quran like that. Just any yeah, indications towards it. However, the indications are undoubted. There is no difference of the scholars on those uh, interpretations. But it has to still be an interpretation. I don't want to say metaphorical, but it's yani, it's ambiguous. Okay, in a in a slight way. Uh, and then the third source of evidence is a consensus of all of the companions and the scholars. Ijma, and and let's not forget that ijma is in of itself intrinsically an evidence so it doesn't need to we didn't we don't need to matter about what the subject matter is if all of the scholars agree on an issue it becomes an evidence of itself it's not called a primary evidence because that's the quran it's not called a secondary evidence because that's the sunnah but it's a tertiary evidence it's a third level evidence which is good enough of itself but it's something that's normally used to strengthen an argument okay then he says let's look at the second issue the second issue Al-Wajhuthani. So this is at the bottom of page 168. He says, This punishment of the grave that we read about, that we know about, that we are taught by our parents uh, about, is it on the soul? Is it upon the body or is it upon both? Now where is this discussion coming from? You would have thought, yeah, and what kind of discussion is that? Actually, if you look back in the classical, classical times, there wasn't much of an issue. There is a consensus of the Salaf, the early generations, the Sahaba, the Tabi'een, that this occurs on both. 
that it is a physical punishment as well as a spiritual punishment as well. When I say spiritual punishment, I mean on the soul. Okay, because obviously when you die, as we know, and we, again, we covered this in last, in last season's uh, lessons, when a person dies, the soul at that moment leaves the body. So there is a separation of soul and bedan or jism, physical body and the soul. When that soul leaves and is separated, things happen to that soul. The soul goes on a journey. And the big long hadith of Bara and the big hadith of the journey of the soul, as you all know, um, dis- uh, describes many aspects. It's being spoken to, being treated very gently, being physically respected, and so on and so forth. Yani, so there's a real physical reality to the soul as well. So a person could argue, if that's all happening physically to the soul, what's happening to the body down there? Is it completely just a corpse, lifeless, with no connection. And that discussion was pretty much hit on the head, you know, so it doesn't go anywhere, in the early books. Because they said that the soul comes back to the body and it has this relationship with the body that is in and out and so on, according to whatever is happening at that time in this current state of the barzakh. Let's not forget that, we're going to come to this in a second, that there's one thing speaking about the grave, but the wider issue is the barzakh, the time period between your death and resurrection. I don't want your focus to be too much on the grave because what about those people who don't get buried? What about those people who get chopped up? Those people who are in accident, people who drown. Those, you know, this is not about the grave per se, but the grave is representative of the barzakh, the in-between period, as we like to translate it. The area which is the most kind of prominent in our minds of the ghayb, the unseen matter that we get to see because you know the unseen the alam al ghayb the alam al shahada the seen world and the unseen world well the seen world's obvious it happens you know in life about life and we uh, we witness and experience it every day the unseen is interesting because it's not all one type it's a number of categories i'm not i'm, I'm not being scientific here i'm just speaking off the top of my head here so we've got at least two categories we've got the unseen that we're never going to see or experience or kind of come to come you know in light or uh, interact with i should say and then you've got the unseen, which we do interact with. So, for example, the angels, they are here interacting with us. We can't see them, right? They are from the unseen. They are from those matters which Allah has hidden from us. And then the grave and what's happening in the grave and the punishment of the grave is also a seen thing because it's happening in front of us, but it's from the unseen a parallel uh, reality. Then you've got the unseen, which is never going to be part of our interaction, which is the Prophet Sallallahu or those who that have passed that are not on the world, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the final day, uh, etc. So this uh, little middle category has definitely brought up discussion. There has always been, not always, but in recent times, there are a lot of people that want to say, uh, we don't see anything. Uh, we're looking at graves. We don't see people in torture. We don't see physical signs of punishment. So that's what led to the question and led to the scholars and having to then uh, respond to this from an Islamic point of view to quell those doubts. Um, ultimately, even Sheikh Uthameen will, as a classical traditional scholar who's not interested in no modernist, no kind of you know uh, liberal nonsense of today. He's you know old school, doesn't get exposed to the kind of stuff that we get to you know that kind of uh, Western critique and that kind of uh, uh, I don't know that whole secular humanist approach to evidences where people do not believe in that which they don't understand which is not something that we believe in in Islam. There are many things that we don't understand that we believe in, and we're told to increase our knowledge or increase our iman, depending upon you know, the area that we're speaking about. And, and death, when it occurs, 
and we see a person die physically in front of us and we see the coldness of the body and what seems to be the complete degradation of the body, it is then a fair question to ask, is there actually anything physical happening? And when people don't see physical signs, and are there physical signs? Should there be physical signs? Is there any? Why is it that all the scholars think, or agree rather, that there is a physical punishment of the body in the grave or in the barzakh? Because the Prophet ﷺ in a number of hadith has established it. The hadith of Bara ibn Azib, the famous one, that talks about the, um, uh, that the angels will come. And when they are not able to answer the, question, the questions properly, they'll be hit very hard with a hammer. And the, the pain of the hammer will cause the person to scream. And the Prophet ﷺ said that every single thing will be able to hear it except two, humans and the jinn. You know, as I was, as I was reading this uh, uh, to review for this lesson, I was thinking to myself, you know, I was just thinking about blessings. You know, because ultimately our major problem when it comes to our deen is that just we're not grateful enough for what we have. If we were grateful enough, then we wouldn't be non-practicing. We would pray regular. We'd be probably you know, smashing our deen day and night because we recognize how grateful we are. It's, that's where it all comes down to. If you want to assess every single person's relationship with Allah, whether non-Muslim, Muslim, poor Muslim, great Muslim, it all comes down to gratitude. That's why the opposite of gratitude, which is shukr, the opposite of gratitude is kufr. That's why they're called kuffar, because they're not grateful. Okay? And they disbelieve as a result of it. And the Muslims, shukr and iman are connected. So we're just, you know, we should always be reflecting upon gratitude. Like every day, on the most random things, always think about gratitude. So I'll give you an example of what I was thinking about today when I was reading this notes. You know, a lot of us think, wish we could see everything, hear everything. You know, like a superpower, right? You know what I mean? But can you imagine that superpower? Can you imagine that you had the ability to hear everything or see everything? It would be an absolute nightmare, subhanAllah. It would be... A, it, yeah, it's strange, isn't it, that you say, thank you, Ya Allah, for not allowing me to hear everything. Because, you know, imagine you could hear the torture of the people of the graves every single day, every single night. You know, it's a, it's, it's, you know, unfortunately, when we think of gratitude or things, we always think in a very direct kind of what's in front of us. We don't think, you know, wider. It's, I often explain the same when we talk about dua. You know, a lot of people, they make dua and they don't get what they thought specifically or what they were asking for specifically and they say I didn't get what I wanted or Allah did not respond to my dua forgetting number one the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that says that when a person asks dua doing it in a halal way not doing anything haram not yani, wanting to break ties of kinship then they will definitely get one of three responses the first is they will get exactly what they want number two they will get what they they will get something better than that in the hereafter or number three something equivalent to that dua in magnitude of what they were asking for will be I, I can only think of the word staved off what's the what's the what's the huh? not deferred because that means it's going to come taken away removed removed from them it was going to happen and whatever and this third area is where the Muslims are most weak like and, and pathetically weak I mean why couldn't why doesn't it make sense that you make a dua you don't get what you want but you know what, you're about to read something or see something or experience something later on that evening that would have completely broken your heart or worse, broken your faith and sent you into kufr or sent you into doing haram. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided that you weren't going to meet that person or read that thing or see that or experience that. And you go on your life without, you know, a diddly squat of what just happened. 
You know, it's like one of those classic scenarios when you're in the building looking down the street and you see a guy and the whole thing falls down and he's on his headphones. He just carries on walking Mm -hmm. and the whole thing crashes. He hasn't got a clue. And why should he? And he just carries on. And you're just thinking, subhanallah, right? And it's huge what you've just seen. It's like, you know that that's a whole catastrophe. But, and so what we need to be aware of as Muslims is that don't belittle the things that you don't understand. Because there's many things that you don't understand that Allah is protecting you from every single day. So again, it comes down to gratitude. So gratitude as a, as a, as a, as a principle, I think, is how our iman will stay high. It's what protects us. The more that you can actually actualize, verbalize, reflect, then you should be grateful for every day. Think outside the box. Think mad style. Just like I said this hadith. So the jinn and the humans can't hear it, but they are being uh, punished every day. The other hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ said that the, the grave will narrow for the one who is being punished in the grave so that his uh, ribs interlock. The ribs, yani mean basically crushed. They will just basically go like that, right? Uh, and we have so many hadith. hadith of the one who stole, the one hadith, the one who took from the booty, from what the Muslims have earned. And you know, back in that, back in the day of the Sunnah of the Prophet, at the time of the Prophet it was basically little things like you know, uh, 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 what's the word, um, uh, uh, shoelaces. And the, the, the Prophet ﷺ said, even these shoelaces are burning, burning him on him like the fire does. So the hadith indicate physical pain. Now the problem, of course, is that we look at a body and we don't see any physical reality. We don't see marks. We don't see burns. We don't see whatever. So how is that happening? And this is, you just have to say, this is something of the, of the ghayb. Now, if you go back and read the notes... Okay, uh, or watch the video of the last lesson of last year. Okay, I did mention that Sheikh Uthaymeen, uh, he's very open about the kind of you know uh, evidences and so on, and he cannot put a fo- uh, and he won't be able to. He cannot put an evidence forward why there is a, a, a definite real punishment of the grave that can be scientifically proven. So he says that actually, people have told me. He goes, my friends have told me that they were doing some digging in an area that needed to be you know, rearranged and some whatever projects. And they came across a graveyard and they had to then excavate those graves. And we saw a person that was incredibly, uh, 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 that had been passed away. We did a research that had passed away for a long time. And there was an incredibly nice smell. There was happiness in the grave, etc., etc. Meaning that there was, uh, for, uh, it doesn't make sense that there was no degradation upon the body, etc., etc. So he's trying to make the point that there are signs that happen that, that you can actually use this to prove that, that you know, good and bad occurs to the body. I don't know if that's a good approach. I, I, you know, I'm not going to put that forward to someone. okay? Because you know what's going to happen next. They're, gonna, they're going to dig up the grave of Hitler. And he's going to be chilling in his grave. You know what I mean? He's got a big smile. Someone might have dumped some perfume in there. Maybe he's got perfume in there. I don't know. Right? But once you go down that line of rational evidences, then you're going to basically <coughs> leave yourself open. Our Prophet ﷺ didn't do that. He didn't uh, 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 take on the burden of having to try and explain that. The punishment is the punishment. Even if it wasn't physical, even if it wasn't physical, the mental punishment will be more than enough. For example, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ mentions in the hadith of Bara that he'll be shown his place in Jannah that he didn't get. 
and then shown what he's going to get. That's the end of the story right there. I don't need to be physically punished. Do you know what I'm saying? So uh, uh, it's, it, I, I, I get that we need to speak about it, but in actual fact, it's not something that should matter. And you know, uh, I was looking at what some of the classical scholars says. Imam Noe goes into this in quite a lot of detail, and Ibn Taymiyyah as well. Because those guys were really kind of, you know, mid, uh, mid-Islamic development history, I mean. You know, like they came five, six hundred years, seven hundred years after the Sunnah, and that's when the Dina spread massive. That's when all the others got their act together, the Christians, the atheists, the Zoroastrians, and they're all yani, launching ideological attacks and refuting. And so they spent a lot of time defending against Greek and Roman thought and logic and all this kind of you know, uh, uh, rationalists. And so they do go into a lot of detail. And one of them said something which is interesting, and I'm hoping that some of, obviously, uh, the medics maybe can even take this further. You know when you look at, at a person who's asleep, right? Uh, they are experiencing something in their sleep. And dreams itself is a very interesting area in, in, in Islam. According to scholars and according to our understanding of some hadith, it's not clear though, let me make it clear. Let me, let, let, me, let me just make that as a disclaimer that this is not definite knowledge. But a dream is an actual interaction in your sleep of souls that are involved in that particular playing out of events. Now, that's all nice if you meet your deceased mom and your deceased grandmother and whatever. But it starts to get complicated if you start yani, you know, getting mixed up with fantasies and and horrible people and you know what I mean it's it's all a bit confusing so we don't need to have to know for certain what exactly is the nature in sharia of a dream what I do know though is a person's knocked out completely and yet the body reacts and we don't see anything of what's happening inside do we or in their minds they're going through an experience and you've got people who are sweating you've got people who are giggling Yes, you see the kids giggling all the time. It's the funniest thing, right? When they're asleep and they giggle. It's even funnier, Yanni, when, when your husband or wife, Yanni, is giggling in his sleep or talking or saying words, words they shouldn't be saying, names they shouldn't be saying. Yeah? So that's it. What's happening there? So, so the point is, is that there is always a reaction. Nightmares, for example. Yeah? People, you know, uh, 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 before they wake up, really tortuous, Yanni, looks and so on. Now, uh, what Imam we mentioned, he goes, we're seeing something that doesn't make sense in this dunya with sleep. So what about then, then the akhirah? You know, because you might struggle to imagine, how does that make sense? How does that make sense? Well, if you already believe in Allah and you believe in a heaven and you believe in the, 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 you know, the ring and you believe in the chair and you believe in the kursi and their most ridiculous sizes and you believe in that the universe around you is so big that your mind can't physically appreciate your numbers and that's in the seen world so what about the you know so then you should know that anything which is from the akhirah i'm going to accept because i don't understand even in the things that i do understand or i thought i understand I can see some indication that a person could be going through an experience and the body's feeling something and actually they're not even doing a real thing. They're not really physically being hurt. You know what I'm trying to say? So I don't think we need to lose, lose any sleep over this. Okay, forgive the pun. But yeah, you know. Um, okay, so the next, the next point at the bottom of 179. If the person is not buried or he's eaten or, he, uh, you know, he got... Uh, Whatever, or he fell in the water and he got and he drowned and he was eaten by, by piranhas or something. Yeah, is there punishment upon this person? 
Okay, we kind of pre, pre-went this one. And the answer is yes. But here, obviously, the, the punishment will not be upon the body. This will be upon the, the soul itself. Because the soul itself has disappeared. It's, it's dissolved. It's gone. It's been, whatever's happened to it, it's, it's, it's now not here to be able to put into the physical kind of uh, category of actual punishment or anything like that. Or it's burnt, etc. Um, but this will be here now applied to the soul itself if the body is not here. On page 180, the fourth matter to discuss. Is the punishment of the grave continuous or is it temporary? The answer, for the non-Muslim, for the one who dies in a state of disbelief, it is continuous. It is continuous and it will continue until the day of judgment. There is no na'im, no pleasure that the disbeliever will feel after death. Everything is before death. That's why they need to smash it as quick as possible. They need to smash it and keep smashing it because bo- because it's just just you know soon as 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 death comes, every single uh, pleasure naim is now mahroom upon that person, forbidden for that person. Um, someone who is mu'min, then they they get protected from the punishment of the grave. That's the whole point. Someone who is aasi. Okay, meaning a sinner, someone who has disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this person will be punished in the grave according to the level of their sin. Small amount, it's temporary. Large amount, it's continuous. And um, as Sheikh Uthameen says, it's actually even possible for the sin to be of a such a negligible, and I don't mean negligible in small, but negligible in compared to his good deeds, that he actually... His punishment, this is an amazing statement, finishes in the state of Barzakh before he even gets to the Qabr. I love this statement because it really brings our minds to what the meaning of Barzakh means. Barzakh starts the second your eyes close and your soul is gone. That's the Barzakh started. And it might just be that the process of the soul being taken out of your body is enough of an expiation for your sins. Before we even t- get taken to Allah and written from Al-Illiyin or As-Sijjin. Whether you're going to be then going to the heavens or whether you're going to be returned to the earth and then go through a punishment. So uh, understand that according to a person's iman and good uh, faith and good deeds, it will be uh, 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 relative. Al-Wajh Al-Khamis, the fifth point. Is it possible to reduce the punishment of the grave? For the believer, we already said it's not possible for the kafir. Not possible at all. Okay? Um, but is it possible for the Muslim? The one who is major sinner or minor sinner, whatever. Answer, yes. It is possible for it to be reduced. Because Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he went past or he walked past uh, two graves. This famous hadith. And he was with his companions. And he, stayed, he turned to his companions and he said to them, while it was silence, of course, that these two are being punished. So, um, and he explained that this is only happening because of serious crime, serious sin. The one, the one of them, he said, This one used to spread malicious gossip. 
you know the difference between ghiba uh, and namima. Yeah, ghiba is the truth. Yani maybe about uh, another person, a Muslim, which is my opinion, by the way. There are some scholars that say that applies across the board. Okay, because I get this question all the time: Why are you dissing Trump? Why are you dissing Bashar? I'm thinking that Allah created these people to be dissed. All right. If I'm not going to do a ghibah of these people, who am I going to do a ghibah of? And, you know, they're saying, no, Allah has given uh, everyone a sanctity. And yes, there's a human sanctity, but not an honor sanctity. And the kuffar, they do not have the, the sanctity of honor, of iman. And so, if they sin, and especially if they are open about their sin and their crimes and their whatever, whatnot, then it's open season. 100%. Very comfortable with this opinion. All right? But person decides not to, then obviously he's taking a safer position. And ghiba is something that can be true, but the other person doesn't want it to be heard or exposed or whatever. Namima is just nonsense, false, and you're creating malicious kind of, you know, situations via gossip. So this one person, guess what he used to do? The other person, Now we covered this hadith, yani in detail, I think in season one or two, and, uh, uh, you know, it was like six, seven years ago. Um, and we had a long discussion. But in principle, I want you to think about how serious this is. I mean, by the way, just to give us some context, to spread gossip about people, okay, is, you know, you know, uh, I'll tell you something interesting. I don't want to get into this discussion yet, but it's going to become a major issue amongst Muslims uh, uh, who uh, teach fiqh. Yeah? Um, you know about 10 years ago or however many years ago when DNA testing in criminal court cases became a real thing. Because there was a while where, they, I mean technology has been around for donkey's years, but when it started to be used in court cases with real, you know, authority, then the scholars started to discuss. So where does this leave hudud? Where does it leave the, the Islamic rules of punishment that are based upon uh, witnesses, for example, or declarations of guilt, or or uh, uh, accusations, etc., etc. And you know, I don't want to get into that because obviously, when we come to that in 22 years' time, right? That chapter of Qadha is going to re- require a lot of focus. But I just want you to know that there's a lot of Islam. There are many Islamic rules or laws that that when they are broken and the punishment is defined, that it's not based upon normative evidence. It's based upon like a person, uh, uh, like zina, for example, zina has the highest level of evidence requirement possible. There has to be four independent witnesses that see the actual act in detail itself. Okay, now, now, the idea is that DNA has proven that this person attacked this other person, or whatever. Yep, or did zina? So this DNA. Why do you need four witnesses for? And that is what started the big debate. Do we now consider the four witnesses to be defunct because DNA proves beyond any doubt that this happened? And that, yani the, and the modernists were like, absolutely. You know, this is proof Islam is outdated. We've got to out, you know, update our beliefs and all the rest of it. And anyone who's, who knows anything about this uh, area, forget about DNA and the error rate that's possible, but just the handling of evidence. Just the realities that yani, people can you know, do things. They started to then 
maybe they might have accepted that opinion, but then they started to retreat. And I re- recognize that, you know what it is? There's more going on here. I don't want to spoil that, that chapter when we get to it. But there's more going on here than just establishing the guilt of the other person. There's also a, a process by where the witnesses themselves are reflecting upon their own selves as well about how they understand life, about what they actually saw, whether it is imperative upon them or not to expose someone's individual sin. There's much more going on here than just establishing guilt and making sure that someone gets punished. And, you know, uh, those, that body of people, Muslims, that were no, no, absolutely not, DNA is what trumps everything, evidence is what trumps everything, not classical, traditional, or the nos. The text is not what trumps everything. It's evidence which trumps everything. Well, now you've seen these apps. The deep deep face, or what was it called? The one that puts the face on a person? Deep fake. Deep fake, not deep face. Deep, deep fake, yeah. And uh, the one which is going viral is the Obama one. And then there's a guy who's on the talk show who does the Tom Cruise and the Seth Rogen one, Yeah. And then there's the one that the Chinese guy who did the, the Leonardo DiCaprio, Caprio, whatever his name is. Yeah, that one. Yeah. And those are the fun ones that are going around on social media. The serious ones are, are, have been shown to the people who are involved and they're terrified. They're terrified. You know, if anyone who knows anything at the moment about the news and current affairs situation and social media networks and the pressure that's been upon them, you know the things that are happening, well, you might not know, but in India, for example, the lynching of Muslims. And especially in Sri Lanka, the lynching of Muslims. And in Rohingya, but not so much, because that's not so much linked to, to the internet. But certainly in Pakistan and in Sri Lanka and in other places, they've identified very clearly that the main cause and instigator are viral messages on WhatsApp and Facebook. To the extent that the last few years... You know when you see update and update, you know, you update your app. The updates have been more focusing not on aesthetics and whatever, but the actual permissions on how many times a message can be forwarded. Did you know that? Yeah. It limits the amount of times a message can be forwarded because what they've realized is that real actual involvement of a key message being forwarded thousands of times, no one being able, and ironically it was a whole Trump thing, Trump going, you know, fake news, fake news, fake news, which really brought this to the, to the core. It, you know, the guy who's guilty of virtually everything that he claims is fake, right, has actually uncovered genuine fake news, a crisis, right? That a story, you know, you know, the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal, you know, how Facebook was done and how these stories, you know, that they get, uh, it, 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 no one's questioning. Now, ironically, Muslims have got a defense system against this. We don't take uh, uh, information face value at all. We need it to be established. We never pass on information. Ironically, we're the ones who love forwarding it on. And then you know, if, you don't, if you don't, then you're going to die in your grave. And then the dog's going to come and lick your thingy and God knows what. And a thousand people. And well, you know, it's amazing that the community that's the most natural defensive against this is the most guilty of it. But anyway, so these messages... Uh, are the ones which are, you know, the Muslim, uh, did you see this Muslim, you know, he did this, he did that, and it's some kind of different country, different generation, 20 years ago, and they're putting it forward that this is what happened yesterday, yeah? Uh, uh, and uh, the example of Khabib, yeah? I can't believe I said Khabib. Habib, okay? The wrestler. 
praying, look at him praying after the fight. This is the thing that he was two years ago. But you know, Muslims are just desperate, you know, to see anything to push forward and give people a good day, increase the mood or decrease the mood, you know, accordingly, whatever it takes. So I'm just saying that the world is very much aware of the damage that's being caused by fakeness. And there is a very real fear of what's going to happen if this technology is now released to the masses to use on their phones and what they can change and what they can make a person just literally by putting his face upon someone else's face doing. Now, if we have got the kind of murder and killing rates, genocidal, by the way, of just written text, what do you think is going to happen when they see physical acts being perpetrated by a person who didn't do it? All right? And that's one side. The legal point is very important for us as well. It puts into question entirely the, oh, he's guilty, my Lord, because I've got this footage of him. Right? Footage now you can throw out Yanni into the bin now. Ironically, you're now going to start coming back to a more classical, NOS-based Yanni reality. The whole concept of faking has now reached the absolute extreme. And that is a reminder to us. The reminder there is that we uh, shouldn't be so impressed with science and scientific arguments and the, the populist kind of you know, pressure to adopt ideas and theories you know, but we, I know that in the West we are because it's our, you know, it's our heritage. We've been brought up with that. We love science. We love evidence. And it's had a lot of positive benefits for us. But this is where its weakness is. This is where its problem is. It actually becomes so dominant in our minds that if we then see something that goes against it, our iman then gets affected. We start to have doubts. Like the, the gay thing, right? How long did we fool ourselves that uh, being gay is because of a gay gene, Right? And for the longest time, we were convinced of it. And I'm not saying that it was created by Muslims, but the Muslims were certainly happy to jump onto that. And they kept it right out there and they said, this is a not malfunction, uh, deviation. not deviation, what's the word? Mutation. Yeah, it's a mutation, it's not normal, it's abnormal, it's this, it's that, whatever, whatnot. And of course, anyone who knew their deen, anyone who knew their deen, the scholars, they never jumped on this. You'll see those who were, who were du'a, speakers, they jumped on it. But the scholars, they weren't going to go anywhere near it because they don't care whether there's a gene or not. You are responsible for your behavior. It doesn't matter if you are scientifically, emotionally, desired, driven to the nth degree to do something. It doesn't mean you're allowed to do it. Doesn't matter because you've got the ability, to, the ability to do something that you. So the gene argument wasn't even important in the first place. You got then the other side where, when this news came out a couple of weeks ago, they started, you know, uh, 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 you know, writing their articles and saying, "See, we told you that the genes uh, are nothing to do with, uh, you know, homosexuality." And uh, and you know, when you put your own the ratification of your faith. And it's dependent upon what comes on BBC News today and then what is taken out tomorrow. Your religion is going to just disappear. Okay? It's nice and interesting to read these articles and to hear scientific analyses every day in papers. But don't make your iman and your understanding of the deen dependent upon what news and science tells you. It's always a secondary source. It's not the primary uh, source of understanding. Anyway. Um, so, uh, this spreading of namima. Now you appreciate how significant it will lead to deaths, 
it will lead to destruction of person's honor, jobs, everything. It's devastating. So it's a major crime. That's why the person is punished in the grave. What was the second one though? When you read it, it doesn't feel like it's on parity. What was it that he did? What does that mean? Huh? Didn't wash himself? What else? لا يستبرأ Negligent يعني, There are different wordings of the hadith He did not protect himself from his urine Others he did not stop the urine يعني, From uh, 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 What's the word? Uh, when you make something dirty Defoil, uh, uh, Soiling Soiling Right? He was not ca- uh, uh, cautious in the soiling of the area. There are a number of opinions of what the hadith actually means. But what there is no doubt about what's being indicated is that this is a person who doesn't care about the salah. That's what it comes down to. Because if a person cared about salah, then they know that purity is a condition for it. And if they don't then care at all about what, how they, you know, they look after themselves... Right, and I'm not. By the way, I'm not even talking about you know, because because you know uh, 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 when we think of super non-practicing people, yeah. What do we think of? We think of someone who drinks beer. That's like you know, that's kafir, isn't it? Yeah, you know what I mean, <laughs> right? Yeah, that is out. He can do everything, you know, because a person can do riba and take mortgages and do zina and whatever. He's still a Muslim, brother. It'll be easy upon him. But he drinks beer. That guy is gone. Yeah. Imagine having a bacon sandwich. <laughs> that guy is in Jahannam forever, ever, ever, ever. And to be killed, yes, as a had, and, 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 and. That's like the most serious sin, right? So imagine, imagine, imagine that, percep- that perception that we have of that person. Okay, I would put into that category, I would put into that category, this is obviously a public one, it's not a scholarly or knowledge one, I'm just saying amongst the, the, the masses. If a person drinks beer and... Muslim, drinks beer, and has a bacon sani, then he's the guy who goes into the toilet and into the cubicle, and he's like walking away whilst it's still dripping. That's him, isn't it? Would you agree? That is that guy. Yeah. So you may be thinking that the hadith is referring to him. He's literally just, you know, nothing. Dripping all over the place, over him, hands, not even washing. You're thinking him. It's not him. That's the hadith not referring to him. Many of the scholars said that this is referring to the Muslim who's actually trying to make wudu, uh, 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 about to make wudu, who is urinating. Uh, remember back in the day there were no toilets, yeah? And people would have to go into the rough, yeah? Or to the back or whatever. And where you would do your, your business... The, 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 the location that you choose has character, characteristics, right? So if you are in an area where it's sand, soft sand, there's going to be no splashback. If you're in an area, for example, where there are leaves or something shiny or something hard or rocks or whatever, then there's going to be splashback, right? And the actual hadith when translated, it indicates that it's the splashback of the urine, which they're not yani, being careful of. So I want you don't want you to think of some day cover, yani Muslim, yeah, you know. I'm talking about this could be one of asla, yani because and my my mind immediately. Huh? Huh? I'm telling you, I can't understand how anybody uses a urinal. No, don't, 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 don't,
There's lots of chocolates to eat, okay? And I don't want to be sick, okay? But I'll tell you that, you know when you meet that nice Muslim, kind of semi-practicing guy who always prays Jummah, okay? And on the day, on a Tuesday afternoon, when he doesn't pray, what does he say? Now, when he says He's not that Qafariyani in the urinal Who's peeing all over himself Would you agree? Am I right or wrong? He's that guy who can't find water He's that guy who hasn't got a bottle He's that guy who's in factory or in office yani, Who hasn't got yani, a bum shower yeah? So he's just basically got tissue paper And the guy is actually Doing what the shari requirement is, meaning he's wiping himself and drying himself, but because he's a pack, you know, you go home and tell your parents, Annie, that I wipe myself and I pray, you get killed. As you know, right? You're dead. Right? If there's no water, you ain't clean. Now, obviously, anyone who's studied logical progression, you'll know that actually cleaning with a physical object like uh, a, a clay or paper or wipes is actually the original ruling, the original sunnah. That water, istinja, is a latter development so ironically this guy is fine but according to him he's not and so what he does is that he takes himself out of the game for the prayer the whole point i'm trying to make is that when you look at this hadith first kind of you know first butchers yeah it doesn't look like you know they're on the same level urine namima no they're both the same this is a person who does not respect the prayer enough, doesn't look after himself enough for the prayer, doesn't consider it number one priority to make sure that everything is sacrificed to make sure that he or she prays on time. And likewise. So anyway, the Prophet passes by these two people. He explains why they're being punished. And then what does he do? What does he do? Who remembers the hadith? He takes a branch, snaps it. He then snaps it in two. And he put it into the two graves, on the grave and on the grave. And he said that, يعني, uh, Hopefully, this will reduce their punishment as long as these two branches don't dry out. As long as they remain uh, moist or whatever the word is. Yeah, fresh or... So, 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 so the hadith has a number of variations and we're going to now see what Shaykh Uthameen says about this, this process. Okay? So he puts them on the grave, places them in or puts them on top and he says while they continue, then this is how long the, the, the punishment will be reduced. Okay? And this is the evidence that what? What is this an evidence for? That's now the key question. Is it an evidence for us doing the same is it an evidence that the grave punishment of the grave can be reduced? Yeah? The answer is it's the second. Without a doubt. Because that's what Allah said that. The first though is in dispute. That's the only major discussion amongst the scholars. If the Prophet because people will say, there you go, he's done it, he's shown us it, well, let's get on that game and start planting those branches everywhere. And you know back home, we got those little twigs everywhere. Everyone's on that. And you can understand why. It makes complete sense. I mean, it doesn't, you know. And by the way, I have some of my, or one of my, uh, no, my most senior teacher, okay, Shaykh Muhammad Hassan al-Didu, okay, he is of that opinion. It is his opinion that it is a sunnah to 
put these two branches or a branch on a grave afterwards to reduce the punishment of the inhabitant. So it's a scholarly held opinion. What does Sheikh Uthameen say? Let's yani, um, dissect it. He goes that... So first of all, he goes... ولكن ما مناسبة هاتين الجريدتين لتخفيف العذاب من هذين المعذبين؟ What's يعني the, the, the connection between these two sticks and the two people who are in the grave? What's the connection? أبي؟ كوي باتني بس كريني. Okay, we're going to go on for just a few more minutes to finish this particular section, then take a few questions, and then we've got to work out what we're doing with all of these sweets and uh, timbits and cake. We've got cake. Yeah, Rahil doesn't mess about, bro. Are you kidding me? That's Rahil right there, bro. MashaAllah. 
the problem is, of course, is as you know, as you, as you experienced, yani, that after salah, you guys make one whisper, Muhammad Yusuf is going to come and chop your heads off. I'm telling you, early on, he won't make yeah okay we'll just show it to you and just imagine that you're eating like you know the soul and this body will experience it and you guys will there's nothing wrong with that putting ilm into action right so listen uh, the question is um, what's, the, what's the connection so some of the scholars they said Imam Anawi in fact he said that um, these, these branches are making tasbih and uh, uh, whilst they are moist and alive they continue to make tasbih until they dry and and then based upon that then they said that because of this fact they should now plant it themselves um, our response to this is from a number of angles number one um the idea that the branches make tasbih is something which there's no doubt about. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us that everything is making tasbih, uh, but you don't understand their tasbih. And there's no single thing that except that it makes tasbih and praises of Him, but you don't understand their praise. Okay? And we also know that everything, whether it's dry or wet or X, Y, is making tasbih. We know the stones used to make tasbih. We used to know the rocks used to make tasbih. So whether being alive or dead or wet or dry has uh, moist or, you know, has nothing to do with the tasbih itself. Secondly, we also know that this is something which is temporary. The Prophet Wasallam we know, made it clear that the sins were so serious that he gave it a temporary stage. There's no link between it being living and making tasbih. But there are other bigger problems for the opinion that those hold, uh, for those that hold that you, know, that you can uh, plant these branches. Number one, how do you know that this person is being punished or not? How do you even know that? You don't know that. The Prophet ﷺ was given information about that because he also can't hear Right? We know that the Prophet ﷺ cannot hear the dead. And when he has ever heard the dead, it's because he's been given temporary hearing, like at Badr and so on and so forth. So how do you know, number one? Number two, you've, what, you've done a crime, if you like, in Su'udhan against the deceased, because you've just basically made him out to be a sinner by you putting that there. How do you know, Yanni, that he's in any kind or she's in any kind of bad state and what your condition is? Um, and the real killer comes when you see that the Prophet ﷺ never did this at any other time. He didn't tell the people to do it either. It was an action that he did himself, sallallahu The real killer is that not one of the companions has ever emulated the Prophet, sallallahu in his action. How many people died, and yet you saw none of them actually repeat this particular kind of, uh, 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 you know, this thing. And then the final response is that there is, there is guidance in this matter. We do know how to reduce the punishment of someone and that is to do what the Prophet ﷺ actually did and told us to do. Which is as soon as a person is buried, then you stand to the side and you make dua for them. The Prophet ﷺ said, اسْتَغْفِرُوا لِأَخِيكُمْ وَاسْأَلُوا لَهُ التَّثْبِيتِ فَإِنَّهُ الْآنِ يُسْأَلْ Seek forgiveness for your brother and uh, ask for him firmness because he's being questioned. Yeah, to be firm. Because now he's about to be asked. So 
we do have a sunnah uh, option. Now that doesn't mean we should go around ripping the branches because you'll go to many of our graves, local ones, and you'll see these branches in there. And you, you don't take it to that level. There's not an ijma or consensus on this in terms of opinion. There are some scholars that said, and by the way, this kind of goes back to the issue of tahnik. Tahnik, when you see it, yeah, what are the vast majority of the Muslim ummah on the opinion of? That they do it. Yeah? The baby is born and they get something sweet and a date and they chew it and they put it in the baby's mouth. Yes? Would you agree that that pretty much... If I was to say a show of hands, put, give me a show of hands of those... There's probably about at least 100, 150 people here. Put your hands up if none in your family has ever done this. Put your hand up if no one in your family has done this. Which means... That 99% here is part of your culture. Imagine that. Okay? I am very strongly of the opinion that this is not a sunnah. Alright? And it actually goes back to the same principle. I think that the Prophet ﷺ himself, this was khas to him, specific to him, specific to his spittle, and specific to his barakah. I completely am happy that there's difference of opinion upon this. There are three opinions on the matter. It's only the Prophet ﷺ, no one should do it. That's me, my opinion. There's a, another strong opinion, which is that this is for the special people, the top scholars, the awliya. They can do it in the place of the Prophet It's not for everyone. And then you've got the general opinion, which is held by the majority of scholars, which is held by the masses, which is that this is a practice that anybody can do and should do to the Muslims. Yeah? So, likewise, is how you understand actions of the Prophet where there is little evidence of a repeat occurrence of the action. It's a difficult area of usul and fiqh. Anyway, we're going to call it to, on that with respect to the lesson. Uh, let's do uh, questions. Announcements. Okay, folks, we've got some announcements, right? MashaAllah, tabarakallah, the major announcement. Uh, we're going to do the uh, exam announcements next week. Okay, we've got some sick results, MashaAllah, tabarakallah. Great turnout as well, so we'll talk about that next week. Um, those who are here first time, Make sure you go and do this again on logicalprogression.org. Then it's part of the portal and everything, especially those online now. Um, on the portal right now, there's a, right, 41 minutes ago, there's a big me- mega list that Shazad has written about. Oh, I need to read all this out. Rah. Okay, here we go. The deferral exam, those are the people who did not do the QP or LP, Quranic Progression, Logical Progression exams in the last one or two weekends. Then that's this weekend, 14th or 15th of September. Just sign in on portal. QuranicProgression.org or Logical Progression, you've got the choice. Go in, click on the exam portal and take the exam, okay? Um, also, by the end of this weekend, those people who have taken the exam will be able to review their answers, okay? That is not there at the moment, but by the weekend, we will have that sorted and be able to uh, review it, okay? And see what you got wrong and what happened. The next thing is, of course, for the next few weeks until the hour changes and then we go to our regular slot. So our regular slot is, if you're in a masjid here, it's 8 o'clock, yeah? And then online is 8.20, okay? So wherever you are from wherever in the world, 8.20 UK time, that's going to start in uh, six weeks. But until then, the time changes every week because it's going after Maghrib. So keep an eye on the dashboard. On the dashboard, on the notice board, all the times are there, all right? They're going to change by 20 minutes every week for the next five, six weeks, okay? Um, the real important uh, thing for me is that the app is, is made. We've got an Android app. And we've got the uh, Apple uh, uh, version, okay? <coughs> iOS is, Android is well established. You can get it on the portal and it's just great. Everything's just nice and simple and easy. And then you've got the one which is 
the Apple one, which is going through testing. So, and it's actually very much like the Android one, the, the, the iOS one. What you have to install that test file first. It's in the beta phase. So. Go to the portal and look at the instructions there. Please install it and let's do some testing. You've got to install that thing first, the testing thing, and then your feedback, you go to wagwanapps.com. Sickest name, sickest team ever. <laughs> Support at Wagwan Apps. Alright? And uh, there are a few limitations, but it's all going to uh, come together soon. Any immediate questions in the class? From the lesson? Yes. Just that one I asked you. Yeah. So both are accepted by those that propagate it. The hadith indicates that it could be on top and in. Now, there is actually a point to what you're making, by the way. Because it going in, obviously, gives it a chance to live. Right? And you water the ground, it's going to keep going forever. And Sheikh Uthameen had a problem with this. He said that this would indicate that it's possible to be forgiven for major sins without that person making tawbah, which is not correct from an aqidah point of view. Because basically this person does a major sin and you're going to basically protect him forever. Whereas the Prophet ﷺ didn't indicate that. He said that they, it will reduce the punishment as long as it does not dry or until it gets dry. So he's indicating whilst preserving the, the importance of the sin, the magnif- magnifying the sin, that it's only temporary. Uh, deep fake, yeah, I forgot that right. Right, what were the questions? Is Barzakh the time between death and when the soul gets back to the grave or death and the day of judgment? Number two, death and the day of judgment. The punishment of the grave expiate bad deeds, absolutely. The punishment is continuous according to a person's sin, but it is an expiation of that which could be more serious, which is Adab Jahannam. So it's not yani, a serious, of course it is, it's a portion of punishment of the hellfire which is given to you in your grave. But then after then being punished, you don't want that. Yani, that's even worse. Okay, we have to do that another time. We haven't got the time. Um, uh, it's not Sunnah. Oh, we, I think we're done there, yeah? No? Come on then. Okay. Um, don't understand Imam Nawi's explanation that because the twigs dry out, that the spear stops according to him. How does the spear stopping connect to punishment stopping? No. The tasbih, uh, yani Imam Nawi is basically saying that the only reason that the, uh, that the, 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 the sin is being lightened is because tasbih is being made and tasbih being made is linked to the life quote unquote of the branch which when it's dried means death and we're saying the problem with that argument is that our original idea of tasbih is from items that are dead anyway like stones okay like stones and uh, finally those who deny the punishment of the grave what angle do they come from we covered this last lesson so go back to the notes and you will see that these are the times next week the time is going to be 740 the lesson is going to actually be exactly 740 and then 730 and then live inshallah from aqsa at 8 p.m on the wednesday okay just keep an eye on the uh 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 thingy the dashboard for that jazakumullah khair um i'll see you inshallah next week subhanakallahumma bihamdika shadu la ilaha illa anta astaghfirukallahumma wa atubu ilaik please after the salah let's uh, just uh, uh Stop this. Uh, please, after the salah, keep it quiet. Okay, there's a lot of people. I know people don't want to hang around, but you've got to be silent, please. Okay, really, I mean it. The sister side is incredibly noisy. <laughs> incredibly noisy because you can't see the uncles and their faces. That's why. Just imagine the uncle's face on this board. He wants to kill you.